Hello and welcome to the next episode of How Good It Is, the show that takes a closer look at songs from the rock and roll era and we check out some of the stories behind those songs and the artists who made them famous. My name is Claude Cole and I'm up late tonight, but I'm doing it for you. Remember to check out the website, howgooditis.com and the Twitter and the Instagram and of course the Facebook page, which you can find over at facebook.com slash now. How good it is, Bob. And if you can swing it, please consider supporting the show as a patron. Click on the button on the website or point your browser to patreon.com slash howgooditis. For just five bucks a month, you're getting the weekly newsletter penned by yours truly with the week's music news, a dash of my opinions, and the history calendar. Plus, it's a quick five-minute read, so not too tough, right? I had a couple of people tell me that the trivia question from episode 122 was kind of easy, maybe, or maybe you're just getting better at it. Did you think about that? I think the answer to this one is kind of easy, though. In the realm of you either know it or you don't, but most people don't know the backstory attached, so here it is for ye. What band from the 1960s got their original name from a Muddy Waters song? Their original name from a Muddy Waters song. I'll have that answer and just a little bit more at the end of the show. I should note, incidentally, that this episode was based on a request by my friend Paul Kondo, the host of the podcast Gumbo Podcast. Uh, Between the podcast of his and the weekly newsletter that he puts out, Paul brings you a curated bunch of suggestions with regards to podcasts that you could be listening to. How he finds the time to listen to them all is beyond me, but he does a fabulous job and he has been a friend to this show multiple times now, and the next time that we're in each other's orbits, I think I need to buy him a beer or three. Anyway, he gave me a little bit of freedom to choose, so today we're looking at Candy Everybody Wants, the 1992 hit by the band 10,000 Maniacs. Now, one of the things I like about Natalie Merchant-era Maniacs is their habit of subverting a song by giving you a melody that doesn't automatically go with the lyrics. It puts me in mind of this Steve Martin clip from 1977. Not a happy sound. You just you just can't sing a depressing song when you're playing the banjo. You just can't go, oh, death and grief and sorrow and murder. When you're playing the banjo, everything's okay. Hey, Steve, your house is burning down. And while Steve Martin couldn't necessarily do it, well, 10,000 Maniacs could. They didn't do it all the time, but it was fun when they did. And as I said, we're talking about Candy Everybody Wants, which is one of those songs. Hey. Hey, hey, hey. Yeah, I'm a little punchy. Candy Everybody Wants was the second single from their album, Our Time in Eden, which the band knew would be Merchant's last one with the group, but it was definitely an amicable parting of the ways. In fact, uh, Steve uh, Gustafsson, the bass player, said in an interview with songfacts.com that knowing she was leaving made it a bit of a freeing experience for everybody involved, and producer uh, Paul Fox was an important part of that whole process. Uh, he, he was able to keep everybody's energy up and moving in a positive direction. Merchant stayed with the band for about a year after she made her announcement to them because she didn't want to leave them in the lurch. So the album 
was released in September of 1992, but Merchant performed with them at the MTV inaugural ball for President Bill Clinton in January of 93, and then again on MTV Unplugged in April. Um, It wasn't until August that she formally announced her departure from the band, saying she, quote, didn't want art by committee anymore, unquote. But by that point, the rest of 10,000 Maniacs were comfortable with asking uh, Mary Ramsey to replace Natalie Merchant and for uh, Ramsey's performing partner, John Lombardo, to join the band as well. So, no harm, no foul. Now, the release of the MTV Unplugged album complicated things legally for them a little bit because their cover of Patti Smith's Because the Night became a hit in February of 1994. But that only meant that 10,000 Maniacs couldn't use that name on tour for a bit until the legal dust settled. All right, so let's come back to Candy Everybody Wants. The song is basically about the media and television in particular uh, and, and the way it appeals to our baser instincts by feeding us a constant stream of sex and violence. The candy, in this case, would be the images that we're watching. It's not especially healthy, but we're still having a tough time resisting it. And, as I mentioned, the melody, written by keyboardist Dennis Drew, is deliberately perky to contrast with Natalie Merchant's rather cutting lyrics. Listen again to those words. If lust and hate is the candy, if blood and love taste so sweet, give them what they want. In fact, one of the highlights of this song is the brass and the woodwinds, which were provided by James Brown's band. And while they're pretty breezy and even kind of chipper, what really struck me was the horn player in the second iteration of the bridge. Listen to what he's doing there. I'm I'm not a musician, but I'm pretty sure what you're hearing is Fred Wesley's trombone. It's also at this point that we hear uh, Robert Buck's guitar shining through just a little bit more with some individual notes poking through the mix. Paul Fox did a fine job of producing this album and this, this song in particular, but you also have to give some credit to Dennis Drew setting up the song to just carry you along from one segment to the next. The record was released in uh, late in March of 1993, shortly before the MTV session. And to Merchant's Amusement, it managed to climb to number 67 on the Billboard Hot 100. And it was top five on the alternative airplay chart for Billboard magazine. So it managed to get a bunch of radio play, even if it didn't sell as well as some of their other singles. Merchant found the song's popularity funny, of course, because of its satirical message. And given that it's about the media manipulating people, well... Clearly, that message wasn't necessarily getting through to those people. And it's worth noting the video for this song because it's visually quite striking. The video was directed by Jeffrey Plansker, who uh, had a background in advertising, and that made hiring him a shrewd move because the video basically hammers you with a lot of images, many of them in an advertising style, and it's interspersed with Natalie Merchant singing the song, wearing different outfits, and standing in different locations. Now, 
Merchant has always been reluctant to capitalize on her sexuality, and there were frequently struggles with the label to get her to wear more form-fitting outfits when she appeared in the videos. She absolutely refused to do so, essentially not giving them what they want. Although there are several shots of her dancing in a black dress that's very low cut, and early in the video, there's a shot that kind of lingers on that area of the dress. But she does rock a green ball gown and a dark blue pinstripe suit, and her almost constantly looking directly at the camera with that huge smile of hers is definitely her own brand of sexy. And while Candy Everybody Wants was not one of their better charting singles, according to OnlineRadioBox.com, it's the band's fifth most played song on the radio now, uh, a few spots ahead of their biggest U.S. single, the unplugged version of Because the Night. Curiously, the studio version of Because the Night is the one that gets the most airplay these days. Now, I only know of one cover of the song, and that would be this one from 1994, recorded by an a cappella group by the name of Off the Beat. Off the Beat is a collegiate group from the University of Pennsylvania, and they're pretty huge on the college a cappella circuit. And if you didn't know that the college a cappella circuit was a thing, well, you need to watch more episodes of The West Wing. And I direct you specifically to Season 4, Episode 11, an episode called Holy Night. And with that weird finish to the main story, now it's time to answer today's trivia question. Back on page two, I asked you to identify the 1960s band that got their original name from a Muddy Waters song. And I kind of hope that the word original threw you just a little bit because they did change the name slightly. But of course, we are talking about the Rolling Stones. So here's the story, according to Keith Richards. Back in 1962, when they were literally just a few weeks old, they had done a couple of interval shows. Interval shows were performances that got done during intermissions, and they managed to get a gig getting their own show in a London pub. So to generate publicity, they called a local news magazine to place an ad. Lead guitarist Brian Jones was handling the band's business at the time, so he made the phone call. And when the woman on the other end of the phone call asked him, okay, and who's playing? Well, that was a problem because I hadn't really thought about it. And in those days, you were charged by the minute for the phone call, so he was under pressure here. So Brian Jones happened to look down and he saw a Muddy Waters album lying face down on the floor so that the track list was facing up. And track one was Rolling Stones Blues. So... Jones grabbed that and said, Rolling Stones. But here's the thing, because they're always a thing, isn't there? The way it's spelled on the album and the way the original build themselves was the Rolling and apostrophe Stones. Some months later, when they got their record contract, the label insisted that the G get put back on the end and the name Rolling Stones was born. Oh, my father. 
And that's a full lid on yet another edition of How Good It Is. If you are enjoying the show, please take the time to share it with someone and maybe even leave a rating somewhere. And now you can support the show over at patreon.com slash howgooditis. If you want to get in touch with the show, you can email me at howgoodpodcast at gmail.com or you can follow the show on Twitter or Instagram at howgooditis. You can also visit, like, and follow the show's Facebook page at facebook.com slash howgooditispod. Or you can check out the show's website, howgooditis.com, where you might find a few extra bits. Thank you, as usual, to Podcast Republic for featuring the show. And next time around, we're going to find out how good it is when we seek paradise by the dashboard light. Thank you for listening. I will talk to you next time. Mm-hmm.